When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, putting in some new windows or a new door can be super exciting. It's an exciting time, but it can be a little intimidating as well because sometimes you don't even know where to begin. Let me help you out. You got to go with Pella. And with that, there are a couple directions you can go to get things started. You can hit up Pella and they can come out. Do a little free in-home consultation. That's right, free in-home consultation. Get a Pella expert out to sit down with you, look at your home, and they're going to be able to get to a, a Scott Frost, Greg McDermott, Fred Hoiberg type of game plan for you that fits your budget, your home, your wants, and your needs. That's one option. Or, number two, you can out to the showroom. The showroom's really cool. Sometimes it helps to actually see the window and see the door and open it and close it to get a better feel of exactly what you're going to be installing into your home. Just know that any direction you go, Pella can provide window and door solutions to any home. Give them a call, 402-493-1350, or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Well, I'm here, and uh, my family has grown by one little man. For those that don't know, I just had my second child. Uh, Everyone is happy. Everyone is healthy. Everyone is at home, which is great. Mac Allen Baugh was born into this world July 3rd at 2.43 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, we had to stay a, a, a few extra days in the hospital because of some elevated bilirubin levels, but things are all good now, and I couldn't be happier. A uh, couple of things with, uh, with, with this. The, the name Mac Allen Baugh. I've had some people go, Mac, what, what's, what's up with Mac Allen Baugh? Okay, so Allen is my middle name, Nicholas Allen Baugh. And uh, Alan is also my dad's middle name, Richie Allen Baugh, Rich Allen Baugh. So that's kind of the reasoning behind that. And Mac, uh, so my, my four-year-old daughter's name is Mava. And my wife and I, when we're, you know, we're talking baby names, we decided we wanted to keep the M name thing going. And so we're like, okay, M names. We liked Max for a bit, but we ultimately fell in love with Mac. And as far as the song Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison, how about this? Was already, there were so many people when we announced them, like, oh, my Return of the Mac, Return of the Mac. How about this? So my wife and I, we did this for the birth of our, our first daughter. We made, it, we, have, we made an Apple Music playlist for when we were in the hospital. And, uh, you know, you sit down, you can create a playlist, and we, we called it the Mac Birth Playlist. And... It kind of it's it's cool, you know. It gives you some music to vibe to while you're kind of waiting around for the big moment to come, where you start pushing and all that stuff. Anybody that's had a baby know that there's there could be like a lot of waiting around. You know, you you check into the hospital, you're waiting to you have to be a certain amount of centimeters dilated, all that stuff. You're, it can be a lot of waiting, and sometimes it's nice to have music going, relax, just kind of take your mind off things and all that stuff. So this playlist had 120 songs on it and is about eight hours long. I was in charge of the playlist and I put it all together. So again, 120 songs, eight hours long. And, you know, we get the Bluetooth speaker in the, in the hospital room and we hit shuffle on this playlist at about 10 a.m. on July 3rd. And of course, one of the songs was Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison, which is kind of Mac's theme song. My son here, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not, I'm not going to run from it. So we hit shuffle on the playlist. Didn't touch it. Swear to God, didn't touch it. The moment when Kim first started to push, I'm talking right when she was getting ready to push for the very first time. Doctors in there, three nurses are scrubbed up, ready for action. Right at that moment of the first push, guess what song comes on? Return of the Mac. I, I don't care. You might be saying, oh, cool story, Nick. Jeez, good, good golly. I think that's kind of cool, kind of crazy. I swear to God. I mean, again, 120 songs, eight, eight hours long, hit shuffle. 
We'd already been listening to this playlist for like four hours. And boom, right when it is pushing, I'm talking the very first push. Mark Morrison was just rocking it in the hospital. So the only thing that would have made it more crazy was if the the moment Mac was actually born, like the, he comes out and he's like crying all the time, the song hits. But still, you got to admit it, man. That's kind of crazy, right? 120 songs over eight hours of music, hit shuffle, right when the pushing starts, boom. The one song I had kind of dubbed Mac's theme song, Return of the Mac, starts playing. Come on. You you better believe Kim and I were giggling and smiling about that. So there you go. Mac Allen Baugh, he's, he's, he's here. He's in the world. I love him. Uh, it's awesome being a dad again. Uh, just amazing. Just absolutely amazing. All the, uh, the, the, the well wishes on Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Really appreciate all that stuff. Uh, we couldn't be happier here in the Baugh household. All right. Um, so we got a mailbag dialed up for today. But as I was going the mailbag route, there's a bunch of big stories that kind of broke. And I want to give my quick take on a few of the, the big events of the past handful of days. And boy, it's been a bad week. <laughs> a bad week for the future of college football. Yet Stanford cut 11 sports. Ohio State suspends workouts. North Carolina suspended workouts. Louisville basketball suspended their workouts all due to positive COVID tests. But most importantly... The Ivy League announced that they are canceling fall sports. Most importantly, football. No. And then the very next day, the Big Ten Conference announces that this season, this football season, the Big Ten will only be playing a 10 game conference schedule. All right. So, where to even begin? Overall, it's amazing how dire this situation has gotten. The greatest thing college football had on their side was time when this pandemic hit. Right? I mean, think all the way back mid-March. Mid-March, when you think about Labor Day, that seems like an eternity away, right? College football had time on their side. Well, time is no longer on their side. And the harsh reality is sinking in for all the decision makers and powers that be for college football. The vibe of confidence for college football has seemingly kind of changed week to week. But I would say the last few weeks have gotten to where it looks kind of bleak, to be honest, for what football in the fall is going to be. I mean, I'd say right now, college football, I'd say is at best 50-50. At best. And the Ivy League's decision really, really hurts. And here's kind of how I see some of this stuff. I'll be honest. For as much as all this stuff is about health and safety, I think a big part of this whole deal is also about liability and optics. How much are certain people willing to stomach for what is a financial motivator, right? Again, a lot of this stuff's about health and safety. There's also a a big part of this is liability and optics. And the Ivy League canceling football makes the optics of Power Power 5 conferences playing college football look pretty bad. Right or wrong? The optics look like Power Five conferences are putting money over health and safety. It's kind of what it looks like. I'm not saying that's totally right. Certainly not saying that's totally wrong either. Now, I actually think head coaches and, and most athletic directors can stomach those optics and that perception. But can university presidents handle those optics and, and that perception? I don't know. I don't know. And that's part of this. There's a good portion of the media that are going to be chomping at the bit to crush college football at every turn, hammering every single negative aspect all day, every day, if college football returns. The daily scrutiny 
will be brutal. Can a lot of the decision makers, like the university presidents, handle that? Do they want to even enter into that? I don't know. But what I do know is the Ivy League's decision to make it, the Ivy League's decision to cancel fall sports, cancel football, makes it even harder from an optics standpoint. Because some of the nation's smartest people in the Ivy League, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, they are saying it's not safe to play football right now. That message from the Ivy League makes the road for college football even tougher on a variety of levels. Now, there's been some talk about playing college football in the spring and pushing things back. I, I suppose I can wrap my mind around that a bit, but I get, I'm not gonna, I get a little worried about that too. I get a little worried with that because it, it, in doing that, it, it feels like we're just kind of kicking the can down the road for lack of a better term with, with the hopes that it will get better. Now, let's just push it to the spring and let's hope it's better. Punting on football in the fall and pushing it to the spring, in my opinion, is, is a pretty risky move as well. I saw this anonymous quote from a Power 5 athletic director, and I thought it, I thought it was a pretty good point. This, this anonymous Power 5 AD said, quote, we don't know what happens with the virus in the second, in second semester. What if we don't have a vaccine and we're in the same spot? Then the fiscal year comes in June and we've missed two opportunities to try to play and save many, many programs. Then what? It's a good point. I mean, we don't, there is no guarantee that it's safer to play college football in the spring than it is now. In my opinion, if you are for moving college football to the spring, I think you're kind of banking on a vaccine, which again, there's no guarantee. Because if there's no vaccine, I don't see how it's that much safer to play in the second semester than it is now in the fall. Could it be a little safer, a little more under control? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But it's here's the thing. It's never going to be fully safe until there's a vaccine. Again, don't know if that's going to happen, right? I I think moving everything back to the second semester of the spring is is a, is more of a risky move financially than you think. And again, you think you say, well, you're just talking about the financing. Well, I don't. I mean, you can't sit there and tell me that it's for sure going to be safer from a health and safety standpoint in the spring. And it's a it's you're rolling the dice. It better work in the spring. It, it better work in the spring for football for an entire season to get played from a financial standpoint. And speaking of the finances, because that's the thing. There are two enormous things trying to be managed right now. You have the health and safety component on one side, and then you have the financial component on the other. And I think it's I think we can all pseudo-wrap our heads around the health and safety component. It's, it's not that hard to necessarily sink your teeth into. I hope we all understand the magnitude of what of what's at stake here with making sure a college f- football season gets played in some form or fashion from a financial standpoint. I hope we understand what's at stake. Because if, if college football doesn't happen in the fall and then college football doesn't happen in the spring, oh boy. I mean, it, Armageddon for college athletics. Total Armageddon. So there, there's, there's just, there's a lot to manage here and a lot to consider. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to minimize the health and safety side of this, but there's, there's a harsh financial reality to life that is real and at play here. Which brings me to the, to the, the other big story: the Big Ten and their decision. They announced that they are only playing a ten conference game schedule in the fall here. So 10 game season, only playing Big Ten opponents. That's it. It, it. I'm good with this move, I think. 
I, I mean, I can wrap my head around. I can wrap my mind around it. I can picture what what everybody's trying to lay out, right? I think the biggest thing the Big Ten is going for is twofold. Number one, conference uniformity. Everyone doing the same thing. I think it was important for the Big Ten to say, nope, I, we need to all be on the same page. We're not going to have Maryland do this and Iowa do that and Wisconsin do this and Nebraska do that. And we're not going to do that. Everyone doing the same thing. So that's number one. And number two, testing. Universal testing protocols being the same for every Big Ten team and its opponents, which in this case are other Big Ten teams. Because the testing thing gets tricky and is a big part of managing all this. I mean, think about it. Was Nebraska seriously going to play South Dakota State in Lincoln, Nebraska at Memorial Stadium this September when South Dakota State, they aren't even testing their players for COVID? No way. I mean, think about it. I mean, Nebraska, Nebraska is going up. They they are doing all these things to with with protocols and mandates in place and spending boatloads of money to test their players a few times a week. And then they're going to welcome a travel party of seventy plus people from South Dakota that hasn't been testing and could have tons of positive tests and strap on helmets and play a football game? No way. No way. So if we think testing is huge with this thing, then the Big Ten wants to do all they can in making sure that they can control as many variables as possible and that everyone is testing the same and then within that, only playing each other. I can... Again, I can wrap my mind around that. Now, is it flawed in some ways? Sure. I mean, for example, does it make sense for Iowa to cancel games versus Iowa State and Northern Iowa to go play like Rutgers and Maryland instead? No, not really. But listen, none of this is going to be perfect. The reason I kind of, one of the main reasons I kind of like it is at least it's a plan. It's forward thinking. It's something. Because like I said at the top, we're running out of time. We're running out of time. And plans need to start to get laid out. And listen, we're a long, long ways away from home here in terms of a college football starting on time and being played. I mean, the Big Ten statement said as much. I think the this was in the last paragraph of the of the statement released from the Big Ten on their announcement of playing ten conference games only. the The statement says as follows: "Quote: As we continue to focus on how to play this season in a safe and responsible way, based on the best advice of medical experts, we are also prepared not to play in order to ensure the health, safety, and wellness." of our student-athletes should the circumstances so dictate. End quote. I mean, did you catch? We are also prepared not to play. There were things of if, the, the word if was in the, the entire statement a lot. If we play football, I mean, this thing's far from over people. Like I said, I put it at 50-50 at best right now. Last thing on the 10-game schedule. I do like that by playing 10 games starting September 5th, talking about Nebraska here, and this is most Big Ten teams, and, and if you're, let's say your goal is to finish by the regular season by Thanksgiving, you, you do it. That calendar, that plan does give you some wiggle room because there'd be about, what, three bye weeks if the schedule were to be interrupted for obvious reasons or whatever. I mean, you can be nimble with different things going on. So that's good, too. I do kind of laugh at whenever the conversation goes to, well, what, what about the structure of the season? What does what does it do to the college football playoff? What is how will they view this? What does it do for bowls and bowl games? Obviously, being normal structure of all this goes out the window, like because we're we're going to be playing less games. My thought on all that stuff, I've said this on previous pods, is who cares, guys? For one season, pardon my French, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? I, I don't I don't care. I told you I want, if if we get to Thanksgiving and 
I'm eating turkey and mashed potatoes, and we're seriously arguing about whether or not the SEC is going to get two teams in the playoff. I'm going to cry tears of joy because we made it through. And if you're concerned about that, <laughs> what? I mean, the only goal of this season is to finish the season, play as many games as possible, period. Whoever gets into the playoff, cool, great, awesome, whatever. Whoever, whoever gets into the Kraft Macaroni and Cheese Bowl, cool, great, awesome, whatever. And by the way, who the hell knows if those games are even going to happen anyways? So there you go. Not a good few weeks for college football. College football, again, I put it at 50-50 at best right now. And what's scary personally for me is, I mean, you better believe these decisions all impact college basketball. It's easy to be like college basketball out of sight, out of mind. You know, because people go, basketball is a winter sport. Eh, it starts in the fall. It's a winter sport, but it starts in the fall. If college football isn't being played in September, there's no way college basketball is being played in November and December. And if if Big Ten football teams are only playing other Big Ten teams, then it doesn't make much sense for Big Ten basketball teams to play non-conference games in November and December. Right? That doesn't make much sense. You're Michigan State. Okay, the football team, you can only play other Big Ten teams. But Michigan State basketball, yeah, go play IU, host IUPUI and Western Illinois and San Diego. No. So, I mean, I know we're focused on football, but all these decisions have massive ramifications for college basketball as well. Uh, if I keep talking about this, I'm going to need to drink a bottle, an entire bottle of wine. So let's stop. Let's 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 change the subject and let's shift to the mailbag. Let's do it. Let's get to it. So I, you know, I put it up on Twitter. Uh, hit me with some mailbag questions. I put it up on Facebook. I also said that uh, you can email me nick at nickbaugh.com. Uh, again, the the email is open at, at any time. If you want to hit me up, give me your thoughts on anything. So let's hammer. I got about seven or eight questions here, and uh, we'll hammer through the hammer through this, and then we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll say goodbye. Brian on Twitter says, did you stay in Lincoln on the delivery of your baby or venture down to Lubbock on the advice of Matt Schick? So, okay, this is a reference uh, to a segment Schick and I had on the radio talking about being in the room during childbirth and how how eager you may or may not be to go down south, a.k.a. Lubbock, to see the action of the baby being born. <laughs> or you the or if you are the type to stay north, aka Lincoln in this analogy, and steer clear of the action down below the baby being born. So I stay north. I stay as far north as possible. I would go to Canada if I could. I stay way north. But here's the thing. It's less about body positioning as it is about eye discipline during the labor process. If you're the man in the delivery room who's the type that's got a weak stomach, gets a little queasy, and needs to stay north. My whole game plan, I mean, we I, head of the hospital, my whole, my whole game plan was, all right, hold one of Kim's legs while she pushes, focus on her face, encourage the hell out of her, and never, I mean never, under any circumstances, Look down south. <laughs> Never. It's tempting. It's challenging. But you got to stay focused on the game plan. And the plan is eye discipline up north. It's the eyes, people. <laughs> I made it through to the liver because I stuck to the plan. So that's my advice to all the soon-to-be dads out there that are going to be heading into the delivery process. If you got a weak stomach, like I got a weak stomach. You boy catch a hangnail, I'm like, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. If you got a weak stomach, stay north and have excellent eye discipline. Don't let your eyes wander down south or your ass might be fainting. You might be passing out, all right? So to answer Brian's question, oh, I stayed way north, Doug, way north. Hey, guys, quick break to talk to you guys about Pella windows and doors. And I, I want to... Make sure that you guys understand that Pella Windows of Omaha and Lincoln, they're following CDC guidelines 
during this coronavirus situation. They can safely serve any of your window and door needs in the showroom or in your home. All the employees at Pella and the customers are completing a COVID-19 questionnaire as provided by the CDC prior to entering the showroom, entering the office, and uh, any uh, potential customer's home. And all the employees are required to self-quarantine for a recommended 14 days if uh, that individual comes into contact with someone who's tested positive, if they traveled anywhere outside of the Omaha-Lincoln area. Bottom line, they are taking all the necessary precautions to make sure that they are safe and you are safe so you can safely move forward with your window and door needs. And uh, on top of all that, as a result of all this stuff with the coronavirus, uh, Pella is offering temporary special financing options. They are now available. So man, now is the time to take advantage of these special rates and uh, put that value back into your home, and you have that peace of mind knowing that all the necessary safety uh, protocol and precautions have been uh, put into place by Pella, so you know the whole time you can feel safe. Give Pella a call, 402-493-1350, or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Book the Wood Fox on Twitter. I like that, Booker Wood Fox. Uh, It's not Booker Wood Fox, but it's someone showing some love, uh, says, Nick, what's the latest on the Blue Jays' return to campus? Any sense on what Denzel Mahoney and Damian Jefferson are going to do? Uh, and then also there was a follow-up question from Jeffrey on Facebook along these lines and asking me if what bigger loss if they leave her and go pro, Denzel Mahoney or Damian Jefferson. Okay, so I don't really have any updates on what those two are going to do. I will say this with a handful of the foreign players on Creighton's roster. This is also true for Nebraska with, you know, Ivan Drago and and Thorir Thorbanyarnas and all this stuff. Like there's there's some issues right now on whether or not the foreign guys and you know that are out of the country can get into the country. Like there's some there's some stuff to keep an eye on there. Uh, but in terms of Denzel Mahoney and Damian, Damian Jefferson as they've entered their names in the NBA draft, but they you know they hired an NCAA approved agent so they can come back to school. My read on the situation was those two were entering their names in the draft, talking about Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney, as more of a formality to go through the process and and maybe even try to get their name out there a bit rather than realistically considering leaving Creighton. Because let's be honest, neither of those guys would get drafted. But I do think this, this pandemic COVID situation could have an impact on some level with decisions like the ones that Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney have right now in front of them. Because let's be real, who can, as I was just laying out, who can honestly say with definitive confidence that there is going to be a college basketball season next year? I can't. I don't think think anyone can. Who the hell knows what things are going to look like come November, December, January, February, March, all this. I mean, and that may be a factor for those guys. Now, I'm just speculating here. Because I haven't spoken to either guy about this, and I haven't even spoke to Greg McDermott on on these two guys and their situation specifically. I'm just assuming that it would have some sort of impact, right? I mean, we are trending in the wrong direction with sports return right now. If things look bleak for a college basketball season, would Damian Jefferson and Dunzo Mahoney maybe say, yeah, I don't want to stick around Omaha and stay in college if there isn't a season, and if... The college experience is greatly altered because of COVID and the social aspect of it. I can understand that. I mean, I know me personally. I started all my instructors out. I mean, I went to college to play basketball and to be around people. Right? Like, that's why I, I went I went to Kansas and Crane. I wanted to play basketball and I just want to meet people, be around people. Well, there's there's a scenario here where both those things are changed. Now, at the same time, there's the other side of that coin. That uncertainty surrounding sports filters up to the pro ranks, too. They they would both more than likely either be going overseas or playing in the G League. Well, the G League is something that could be in trouble with COVID. And how anxious are you to go live in a foreign country during a pandemic? So it goes both ways. I, I think when all the dust settles, Damian Jefferson, Denzel Mahoney will be will be, both be back at Creighton 
And then to answer the, the, the follow-up question on which loss would hurt more if one of them were to leave, I'd say Denzel Mahoney. And that's not to minimize Damian Jefferson. I mean, I said it in the recap pod. I'm not sure there's a guy who I had an expectation level for them and what they ended up reaching in a season. I'm not sure I've ever had a guy exceed my own expectation level for them more than than Damian Jefferson did this year. I mean, Damian Jefferson was was one of the most consistent players the final two months of the season. But I still go Denzel Mahoney. I mean, you're talking about the sixth man of the year. Listen, Denzel Mahoney could end up being Creighton's leading scorer next year. That wouldn't shock me. And he's only going to get better and more comfortable in the system. Keep in mind, he j- just became eligible at Creighton it, in the middle of the semester. So I think the bigger blow would be losing Denzel Mahoney. Jeff on Twitter has a handful of questions. He's a Kansas fan. So he says, who is your roommate at KU? Top three off-the-court memories while at KU. And then Elam ending, yay or nay? He says, congrats on being a dad two times. All right, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate that last thing. All right, let's, we'll take it bit by a bit. Roommate, Keith Langford, Freeze, Fort Worth, Texas. Shouts out to him. One of the all-time greats in KU history. It's a shame that his jersey isn't hung up yet. Eighth all-time leading scorer, two Final Fours, total stud. Uh, I always tell people he's the best player I ever played with. Best player I ever played with was Keith Langford. Langford, Nate Funk, Aaron Miles, Wayne Simeon, and Anthony Tolliver were the best players I played with in college. Keith was a great guy. I loved living with him. Uh, I couldn't believe that it was it, Keith and Simeon lived together, and then Wayne moved off campus as I was coming in, and they put me with Keith, and I would ju- I just watched the guy go against Carmelo Anthony in the NCAA tournament, and all that. I was like, oh, my God, I'm living with Keith Langford. This is great. He uh, Love the guy to death. Absolutely love Keith. Next, okay, top three off-the-court memories at KU. I mean, it's hard because almost all my great memories at KU are connected to basketball. I, I, I don't, it, it'd be hard for me to, because they're all, when you, when you go away for college, like you're just like, you know, everything I did was with the basketball, the basketball team doing stuff. So, I mean, maybe he's just talking about like not non-game related stuff, you know, cause I could say, you know, I mean, going to the elite eight and all that stuff, but I, two things come to mind. I loved summer pickup games at Allen Fieldhouse. In like in June, all the NBA guys would would come back to Lawrence. So Kirk Heinrich, Nick Collison, Drew Gooden, Jacques Vaughn, then all the other all time greats, dudes like Jeff Boshi. Like all those dudes come back and we'd play pickup at night. And let me tell you, those were some of my favorite times playing basketball. Some of my favorite times hooping. Pickup games at night in the summer. In Lawrence, Kansas. Those games were incredible, man. I mean, some high-level basketball being played. But the the other thing I would say that I loved that is pseudo off the court was this. Obviously, because KU basketball is so big and so historic, it's obviously one of the blue bloods. And because Allen Fieldhouse is so legendary, we'd get amazing visitors on what seemed like a weekly basis. And the best ones were were ones that were like Make-A-Wish Foundation visitors. Like there'd be a sick kid whose wish was to meet the Kansas Jayhawks, come into the locker room, see a game at Allen Fieldhouse, celebrate a win after the game, all that stuff. Or there were a couple times like a wounded wounded, uh, U.S. Army soldier who maybe, you know, lost lost an arm, uh, just got back from... Iraq or something like that, whatever, you know, like these people are total studs. They want to meet the Kansas team. They want to see a game at Allen Fieldhouse. Those things were so powerful and so cool. I mean, sometimes you'd be, I'd be walking into practice and you'd be like, what, I mean, what's going to happen today in terms of what visitor is going to be there, right? And, you know, those things were so powerful and it would make you realize how lucky you are, you know, you were to be a part of Kansas basketball. Because you have people whose wish is to be a Jayhawk for a day. And I think to myself, I get to be a Jayhawk every day. Like, wow, right? So those are those are a few of the good memories. I hope that satisfies Jeff's uh, question. And then as far as the Elam ending. So for people that don't know, it's a it's a it's a new 
way for basketball games to end. The, the tournament on ESPN uses it, and I actually kind of like it. Just like anything else, when there's a change, you got to get kind of used to it. But I, I I enjoy the ends of games more when I'm watching the tournament. The tournament's awesome, by the way. So the quick synop- synopsis of the Elam ending is, at the first dead ball whistle, after the, the, the time goes below four minutes in the final quarter, the clock is turned off. And at that point, a target score is set, equaling the leading team's point total plus seven. So you just add seven points to whoever's in the lead. Then the first team to hit that target score wins. So if Creighton is playing Villanova, once the clock stops under four minutes and the score, let's say the score is Creighton's up 70 to 65. Okay, seven points within the clock will be turned off. Seven points is added to Creighton's score, which would then be, which the target number would be 77. So that's the target number. So the first team to score 70, to get to 77 points wins the game. And what it does is it it eliminates all the intentional fouls and dragging the game out. And I like it because it forces the action and it forces the team in the lead to stay aggressive and finish the game. And I kind of like that every game ends on a made basket. I should mention they did the Elam ending, I believe, in the All-Star game too this year, the NBA All-Star game. So every game ends on a, a made basket. Now, what's hard about it is it's kind of weird for the game to be, for the clock to be a factor for 99% of the game, but then the clock is turned off and doesn't matter at the end. That's kind of weird. But overall, I like it. I do. Because let's be honest. This is coming from a basketball lover. The ends of basketball games can be brutal at times. The final 90 seconds can take like 15 or 20 minutes with all the intentional fouls and stoppages and all that stuff. I mean, oftentimes, the ends of games become a foul fest from the trailing team, and then the team in the lead plays not to lose, right? They just like chew 30 seconds off the shot clock and then jack a shitty shot, and they're like, all right, we're fine. We're just we're just trying to run the clock out. And that's not fun to watch, Right. All I know is every Elam ending I've seen, whether it's the NBA All-Star Game or when I'm watching the tournament on ESPN, is super entertaining. So there you go. I I, I like it. I really do. Logan, via email, nick at nickbot.com. Oh, boy. This is going to be a tough one. Mary F. Kill. I don't know why I'm censoring it, but I just it feels weird to say. We've all played that game. All right, Mary... F kill. You got to marry one person. You got to F one person. You got to kill someone. It says, Mary F kill. Bill Self, Scott Frost, Greg McDermott. Oh my God, dude. Really? Really, Logan? Here's the thing. The first thing I thought about. You kill Scott Frost, the entire state of Nebraska is hunting me down and killing me. Right? It's... It makes me want to say, like, you maybe got to F Scott Frost because he's shown, first of all, you don't want to die, but he's shown that he can have an elite moment, can be great in a spurt, right? Good in a spurt with the undefeated season in Central Florida. So, you know, a part of me leaned initially to be like, okay, I think I'm going to F Scott Frost. <laughs> That's hard to say with a straight face. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Let me talk this out a little bit more. At the same time, though, be you know someone that's been married for seven years now, like marriage is about consistency, man. It's about consistency, and it's hard to argue with Bill Self's consistency. What has he got? Fourteen? He had fourteen straight Big Twelve titles. I mean, he's been the model of consistency. So you kind of want to marry Bill Self, but man, then am I killing Greg McDermott? What? No way am I killing Greg McDermott. I mean, Greg McDermott's one of. One of my favorite human beings I've ever met in my life and one of my favorite dudes on planet Earth. The more I talk, I think I just kill myself potentially. I I'll kill myself. They can have a, They can do whatever they want. I'm just going to die. Here's the reality of the deal. I better I better be careful what I'm saying. Here's the reality of the deal. The only, I only personally know Greg McDermott and Bill Self. I've never met Scott Frost. So I probably got to... I got to... I probably got to kill Scott Frost, I guess. 
and then go into witness protection from the government and move out of the state of Nebraska because the entire state will be in a manhunt for me. So I guess final answer, I'm going to marry Greg McDermott because I get along with him better than anyone. I love that guy. I guess I'm going to F Bill Self and kill Scott Frost. Yikes, that all felt dirty and wrong. Let's go to the next question. Let's go to the next question. Caleb, via email, says, uh, Nick, do you have any insight as to why Creighton and Nebraska don't play UNO in basketball? I have to assume Darren Hansen is making the calls to attempt to get them scheduled. So, oddly enough, this is like always a, a topic that people – I got I got like – Caleb was one of like two or three questions about this exact topic. Why doesn't UNO – why doesn't Creighton and Nebraska play UNO? Why doesn't Creighton and Nebraska play UNO? This is a tough one on a variety of levels, and I think it's it's all a product of your vantage point. If you're UNO, of course you'd love to play Nebraska and Creighton. I've no doubt about it. But if you're Nebraska or Creighton, you probably feel a little different. Sure, it's nice to keep things in the state and help out a great dude like Darren Hansen, who's an awesome guy, and and a growing program like UNO is still getting their feet under them in, in Division I basketball. But it's always a little scary for a team like Nebraska or Creighton to play a team where you have everything to lose and nothing to really gain, and you're the opponent's Super Bowl. That's always a little scary. I'm just gonna be I'm gonna be real and honest with you guys. Instead of giving you some PC answer or give you the you know like that's a it's bullshit that you and or that Creighton doesn't want to play you and eh, I mean let's like, there's a little more nuance to the conversation than that. I'm going to be real with you. I mean, okay, Creighton or Nebraska, let's just like talk all this stuff up. Creighton or Nebraska schedule UNO and smash UNO by 30. Nobody's saying anything. Nobody says anything. They they would just, well, they should crush them. I mean, they're UNO and they're in the Summit League. Everybody goes home, goes to bed. It's like it's nothing, right? But if UNO comes to Creighton and wins or goes to Pinnacle Bank Arena, goes to Nebraska and wins, it's a massive story. And UNO goes nuts celebrating because it's arguably their biggest game on their schedule outside of their Summit League Conference Tournament games. That's a real thing. And listen, you may be saying, well, Nick, Nebraska played other Summit League teams like South Dakota State last year. And and Creighton has played other Summit League teams like Oral Roberts last year. Why schedule those Summit League teams and not UNO? Because again, look at it like this. Look at it like this. Let's focus on Creighton here. We'll just use Creighton. Beating Oral Roberts at home and beating UNO at home, neither win is a huge deal, right? Let's just be honest, right? It's, it's not like you're getting a quad one win. It's not like you're you're it's a, it's a win that have, it's going to be a feather in your cap on Selection Sunday. It's not like you're going to go to Clark Kellogg and be like, well, you know, Greg, you have to Creighton's win over UNO in November has to weigh heavy on the Selection Committee's mind. It's Right? It's not a big it's that win's not a huge deal. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Which loss is is a bigger story and more devastating to Creighton? Losing to Oral Roberts at home or losing to UNO at home? They're both would go probably on your resume as a bad loss. But you know what's the bigger, more devastating loss in terms of the story of it? Losing to UNO at home. I think a lot of it comes down to that. You have to consider a lot of different things when you're scheduling your non-con in college basketball. And the reality is, for teams like Creighton and Nebraska, It's an everything-to-lose-nothing-to-gain situation where a loss is a way bigger story, a way bigger deal if you lose to UNO. It just is. I mean, think about about some of Nebraska basketball's bad losses in the non-con last year. Imagine instead of losing to UC Riverside to start the Hoiberg era, they lost to UNO. It was already a ugh. But if they lose to UNO, it's a way bigger deal. So that's how I would explain it. And I love how people act like they can't see all the different angles of it. Everybody just wants to get a six-pack of beer. It's like, ah, tell you, why is Creighton scared of playing UNO? Ain't nobody fucking scared of playing. You know what I mean? It's, why is Nebraska not one to play? Nebraska's not scared of playing UNO. 
It's bull that you and I. Just everybody. Like, I get why you and I want to play Creighton in Nebraska. Can you, for five seconds, look at it from the other perspective? Now, I'm telling, I get it from like a, you're just like, you want to watch a good game? You know, I reference like the Nebraska-South Dakota State game last year and the Creighton-Oral-Roberts game. Guess who called both those games on TV? Me. I, I called both those games. I called Nebraska-South Dakota State last year on BTN, and I called Creighton-Oral-Roberts last year on Fox Sports 1. I'm telling you right now, would I rather those games been Nebraska versus UNO or Creighton versus UNO? Absolutely. Those games would have been better atmospheres, more energy in the arena, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm telling you, like, I'm admitting it'd be like, yeah, it'd be more fun. But sometimes it's not all, all about that. If, you, if you're Creighton or Nebraska and you're putting together a schedule. I just think it's easy to sit and scream, come on, Creighton and Nebraska, schedule you know, when you have no skin in the game. So, so there you go. That's how that's how I explain it. I get that may not be the answer a lot of you want to hear, but it's the truth. There are three vantage points with that. There is UNOs, there's Creighton and Nebraska's, and then there's the fans. I get all three aspects of where they're coming from. UNO wants to see the game. Nebraska and Creighton want nothing to do with the game. Fans want to see the game. And I can understand all those vantage points. I don't like how we do this thing in sports where it's like, here's I I am a fan, so I refuse to see it from the other perspective. Or I am UNO, so I refuse to see it from the other perspective. Or I am Creighton, Nebraska, I refuse to see it from the other perspective. I totally get all the perspectives on it. And I think deep down inside, if you're mad about it, you're not being real and that you don't understand it either. Come on. You get it. You get it. You get it. Next question. Thomas via email. Says, Nick, what could Nebraska basketball recruits have to benefit from going to Nebraska or Creighton? Like Hunter Salas, Jason Green, Isaac Trout, St. Thomas. How would it compare to them going out of state? Do you think these guys would have more opportunities, especially if high caliber guys like Salas? So the the beauty of uh, – it's a good question. The beauty is the position that both programs, Nebraska and Creighton, are in right now. Creighton is in the Big East, big boy league, big boy basketball, huge stage. Obviously a step up from the Missouri Valley Conference. All that stuff matters. And then you look at Nebraska, you have a guy like Fred Hoiberg leading your program who has tons of ties to the NBA, played in the league, coached the Chicago Bulls, was in the front office with the T-Wolves. So you got that carrot dangling out there too. And then obviously Big Ten Hoops is fantastic as well, just like the Big East is. So both programs are big boy basketball. Both programs play a style that is similar to an NBA style. And that style is super appealing to play in. Fast, up-tempo, threes, freedom, ball screens, all that stuff. So the style is appealing in a variety of reasons. Hoiberg has put players in the NBA. Greg McDermott has put players in the NBA. So Nebraska under Hoiberg and then Creighton under Greg McDermott, now in the Big East, are both extremely attractive spots to play college basketball. You don't got to leave the state to play big-time college hoops for big-time good coaches. A guy like Hunter Salas could be in a different situation, though, because just like anything in life, there's levels. For as much as I love Creighton and, and, and I love Hoiberg at Nebraska, Creighton and Nebraska aren't KU, Kentucky, North Carolina, those types of places. They just aren't. Those are elite of the elite places to play that offer a level of cachet that is real. So when you got an offer to go to Kansas or North Carolina and Kentucky's beating down the door or whatever, that, that, that's woo, tough to turn down. Let me tell you, it's tough to turn down. But I think a guy, for a guy like Hunter Salas, playing at a place like Creighton or Nebraska, there's always this aspect you got to think about it too, would give him a bigger, expanded role earlier in his career, which oftentimes is important. Some guys earlier on in the career, they're not cut out to be the the seventh man playing 14 minutes a game. Like it's, it's some guys, it's hard, and then they don't look great, and then they get frustrated, they lose their confidence. Some players struggle in a secondary role. Some don't but that's something you have to consider. 
I, I remember going through the recruiting process. I had one person tell me, like, you know, because I was one of those guys, like, am I a mid-major guy? I'm getting some sniffs from high-major guys. Like, what high-major teams? Like, what am I, you know? Someone once put it to me is go to the go to a level where you could, you are the man. That's your level. Now, whether that's right or not, I don't know. But it, there's something real to be said about that. But it's something you have to consider. They all, I also think this is where someone like Mitch Ballock can uh, can really be super impactful in terms of a recruiter for Creighton. Like, if I were Hunter Salas, I'd be talking to Mitch. Even if he doesn't go to Creighton, it'd be like, it's a good guy to talk to about this. Because think about it. He, Mitch Ballock, here's a top 100 player, big-time high school basketball player out of Eudorus, Kansas. Had an offer to play at the in-state monster blue blood program, Kansas, and turned it down to go play at Creighton. He can speak to a bunch of what someone like Hunter Salas is going through. Leaving home or staying home, playing at Creighton or or turning down the big place like KU. Mitch can really help and speak to a lot of things in that regard. So you know that's how that's how I see it. We'll we'll see what ends up happening with with Hunter Salas though, man, because it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting to see where that cat ends up going. I mean, that guy's like I think in the latest recruiting rankings, he was eleventh, uh, the eleventh ranked player in the country. So, I mean, this guy's like trending towards being a McDonald's All American. Big time. All right, we're about 50 minutes into this thing. We better wrap it up. Uh, I'm pretty sure I hear a baby crying or something upstairs here. Re- really appreciate all the questions. If I didn't get to your question, I'm going to try and get it to you next time. I, I want to do this more frequently. I really do. Try to file- fire up a mailbag more often. I love doing this. Uh, thanks for-, for all the questions. Again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and make sure while you're at it, you give a five-star rating and review. It all helps me out. I appreciate all of you. Okay. I'm going to go change a poopy diaper. Peace. All right, my thanks to Pella Windows and Doors. If you're thinking about a new window or a new front door, now is the perfect time. Give Pella a call at 402-493-1350 or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. We will see you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. Production.